Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today we're talking about omega-3, and if you don't know what omega-3 means, it is a type of fat. It's a really beautiful, healthy fat. I talk about it all the time on Instagram and to my clients, and I thought, let's bring it to the podcast today. And the main reason, actually, that I want to talk about omega-3 today is because I actually recently got my omega-3 levels checked out, and it's not something that is routinely done in a blood test when you go and see your doctor but you can do it through like an independent company. So they send you a kit where it's essentially just like a finger prick test that you do. So you send them a little blood sample and you can get your omega-3 levels checked, which is pretty cool, I think. Um, I want to make sure that you know that this episode is not in any way sponsored. I ordered my own kit. I bought it with my own money mostly out of curiosity, um, but also because I am predominantly plant-based in my diet, and some of you would probably know that just based on what I share on Instagram. Um, so I would say like I'm about 95% plant-based. I only eat, um, I will, until recently I should say, I only eat vegan foods at home. Sometimes when I'm out and about, I might have like an oyster or a beautiful piece of fish because I actually love fish and there's so many health benefits associated with it. But I was going to talk about this later in the episode, but I have actually started increasing my intake of fish at home as well based on the results of my omega-3 test. So I'll probably be back to being 95 to 99% plant-based again in the future, but right now it just feels like it was a good decision for me to be a little bit more flexible about it. And it's a little side note, I I really want to get that message across to you as well, that you can be flexible about your diet. And if you want to put a label on yourself like you're vegetarian or you're vegan or you're pescatarian, whatever it is, absolutely go for it. But don't feel like you are never allowed to stray away from that either. I've personally always gone with the term plant-based rather than vegan because I don't really like that association of having a strict label. And for me, for the reason that I eat the way that I do, I know that there's a multitude of reasons. You know, I've I've never really liked meat or animal products anyway, so that's easy for me. Um, but then there's ethics and sustainability that come into it as well. And I know that if most of the time, if 95 to 99% of the time, or even if it was, you know, less frequent than that, I was choosing plant-based options, I would know that I'm still doing enough to be making a significant difference on those ethical and sustainability morals that I have. And I think um, that, well, that's the way that I see things anyway. If everybody made slightly more plant-based choices, they'd be doing something amazing for their health and also for sustainability and ethics like the whole world over so I think that it's it's more than just one person going hard and going 110% we need like a community effort towards that and 
I, yeah, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that then I don't feel guilty or bad or anything if sometimes I do dabble in something that is not entirely plant-based. For example, knowing that I do really love seafood and if I'm going to a beautiful restaurant where I know it'll be like nicely sourced and really well prepared, then I'll spend the money and I'll order it. Um, or if I'm with my partner and he wants to order it, say, and we can share it together and it feels really special rather than having it at home all the time. But Recently, I, you know, I've also decided, okay, well, I need to really prioritize my health right now. And sometimes you need to do that. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to go on that little tangent because I did have somebody once, um, come to me and she was really wanting to eat more of a plant based diet, but was finding it really stressful to think about that full transition from eating some animal products to going full plant based. And, it took a little bit of easing in and really reassuring her that it's okay. There's no expectation that you have to go fully plant-based overnight or ever, really. So just to get that out of the way, I don't know, I, that just all, I wasn't planning to say any of that, but that all just came out. So I hope that it, it helps in some way. But what I actually wanted to talk about today was Omega-3 levels, really sparked by the fact that I did get my own levels checked out because I mostly eat a plant-based diet. Uh, and I hadn't been eating any additional fish in my diet when I got this test done. And I've only supplemented, I'm a bit naughty, I've only supplemented my omega-3 levels on and off, even though I recommend it all the time to a lot of people, especially plant-based people. Um, but I have only done it on and off, I have to say. So I'm going to share my results with you. And I'm going to be honest, the result wasn't great. So the optimal range for your omega-3 levels is supposed to be like 8% is the number they use. And mine was sitting at about 3.9%. So that's not great. That's not even close. So I thought I'd bring myself to you as a case study about what I am doing to boost this and give you all the context about why it's important. And keep in mind that it is especially relevant for all of you listening if you're pregnant as the need and associated benefits of omega-3 really increases during this time. So if you have no idea what your base level of omega-3 is, and you probably don't, you can get it checked out. But I would say also just quickly thinking about how often you do eat salmon and other oily fish and whether you take a supplement does tell you a fair bit of what you need to know. Like I wasn't really surprised by the fact that I had low levels of omega-3. So if you infrequently eat salmon and don't supplement, you're probably in the same boat as me, or maybe with even lower levels. So anyway, I thought I would start with that to add some context to this conversation, but I'm going to backtrack now and go right back to basics about what omega-3 actually is, so let's get stuck in. So despite my abysmal broad levels, <laughs> omega-3 is probably one of my favorite nutrients. It really, really works over time for us. So what is it? Why do we care? How do we get enough? And what do I mean when I say omega-3? So like I said before, omega-3 is a type of fatty acid. Now, all fats are made up of different fatty acids, and the main categories of fat are saturated fat, trans fats, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, and unsaturated fats. Now, omega-3 is a type of polyunsaturated fat, which is the good type, right? So the omega-3 thing, literally, like why it's called that, literally just refers to the shape of the molecule. And if you're chemistry-minded, it has a double bond, etc. I feel like 
Sometimes people spend a lot of time talking about that chemical structure, but I really don't think that it's important for you to know. So, and you'll probably not retain it. Like I haven't retained it after seven years as a dietitian and four years at uni. So we're just going to skip right over the whole double bond thing. But anyway, you don't need to know about that. So basically the unsaturated fats are incredibly healthy and way more healthy than saturated fats. I probably know that, but don't feel bad if you don't know that. But please remember, unsaturated fats are great for our health. So omega-3s in particular have had a lot of research into them and are associated with loads of benefits. So they seem to be anti-inflammatory, therefore reducing the risk of long-term diseases like diabetes, really relevant for you guys. And they also protect our heart and keep our brain healthy with even possible reduction of risk around things like dementia. They're also incredibly good for your bub with a whole lot of reasons that we can get into more in this episode, like reducing the risk of preterm delivery and having a big role in the development of the brain and eyes. So the thing with omega-3 is that our body can't make it on its own. So our body can make some types of fats on its own but we can't produce omega-3s, so they're considered essential in the diet. The other thing is that a lot of us don't eat enough of them. So there's been a bit of debate into this, but the general consensus seems to be that most people eating a Western-style diet have a high ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 in what we eat, which is reflected in our body. So I also got this ratio tested between omega-6 and omega-3, So I can definitely attest to that. So the desired range for the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is meant to be like 3 to 1 to 5 to 1. And I'm up at 10 to 1. (laughs) So just putting things in context again, like a lot of us aren't doing great on this. And so I just want to also make a note that this isn't to say that omega-3-6 is bad to have in your blood or that that's an unhealthy type of fat. It's Uh, It's more that having that high level of both types of fats is what you want, meaning that the best way to change this ratio would be to increase your intake of omega-3 rather than feeling like you really need to lean into like cutting omega-6 fats out. Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, So this leads nicely into having a closer look at the benefits of omega-3s. And the first one that I want to talk about is the anti-inflammatory properties. So I'm quite aware that just saying inflammation can feel really fear-mongering and vague. So I just want to quickly, again, go on a bit of a tangent and unpack what it actually means. So in an acute or immediate sense, inflammation is a very normal, natural and helpful part of our body's normal functioning. So for example, when we get an infection or an injury, our immune system mounts a response to defend or heal us. So It's like if you get a paper cut and the receptors in your finger like raise the alarm that something's wrong, this signals all these other little cells like your little army to come and help. They all come over and start prepping themselves to fight off whatever bad guys might be coming through the exposed skin. And sometimes you can literally see it happening like the area around the paper cut might go really red and swell up and might be sore. And this is an example of that inflammation happening. So it generally only lasts as long as the illness or injury does though, right? So once the cells are repaired and your cells are finished fighting, they die off and the swelling goes down, the redness disappears and your skin goes back to normal. Kind of amazing when you think about it. Uh, so chronic inflammation is kind of the same thing but different, okay? So conditions like diabetes and heart disease are examples where 
there's thought to be like extra inflammation in the body. So the cells, they stay on high alert, but instead of being helpful, they're generally just causing chaos in your, bl- in your body system. So instead of being confined to one small area, like if you had that paper cut and it's just your finger, it's happening literally everywhere in your body. Okay. And it doesn't really go away. So the things that trigger this chronic inflammation are different rather than getting an injury or an infection. It's more about lifestyle choices. So some really tangible examples of this that can lead to inflammation are things like smoking, stress, your dietary choices, and also carrying extra weight. As we know that fat cells can um, release more of those inflammatory Marcus, I'm really oversimplifying things, but I just want to give you kind of the general gist. Um, Now, this chronic inflammation is what can lead to conditions like diabetes, and it's way more complex than just eating lots of sugar, um, though a poor diet is something that can contribute to this increased inflammation if there's been regular overconsumption of those less nutritious foods. Um, And like I said, I'm really oversimplifying it. I'm so conscious of that, but just the main message is that it's really important that we proactively do things that reduce the inflammation in our body so that we can reduce the risk of these negative outcomes over time and increase the likelihood that we'll live out our lives in good health. So we'll get onto the specific benefits during pregnancy in a second, but the things we know that can reduce inflammation are things like eating more omega-3 fats in particular, lots of plant foods, reducing intake of our animal proteins, reducing ultra-processed foods, getting regular movement, not smoking, managing your stress really proactively, and certain dietary patterns are also associated with lower rates of inflammation and disease. So things like the Mediterranean diet, which I mean, it might just be associated because it's really well studied, but it's a really healthy way to eat where there's things like fish, which is really high in those omega-3s, and extra virgin olive oil are highlighted as some of the key components. So the key to reducing the risk of those chronic diseases is essentially general healthy eating and living advice, but we know that one of the big drivers of this is because of the impact on inflammation in the body. And omega-3s play a really big role in that inflammatory response and giving you the best outcomes. So I know that was kind of a long-winded way to get here, but I hope you've stayed with me. So before we look at how to specifically increase your intake of omega-3s, I want to go over some of the other benefits. So aside from helping to lower inflammation, we know that there's lots of benefits in pregnancy specifically. So Got some studies to refer back to because I know we love being evidence-based. So a 2022 meta-analysis, so an analysis of like all the studies, summarized that the evidence from randomized control trials, which means they did a specific experiment about it rather than just looking observationally, um, looked at the impact of omega-3 supplements in women with pre-diabetes or gestational diabetes. And they found that combining omega-3 supplements with vitamin D or E improved fasting blood glucose, markers of insulin resistance, and lowered cholesterol levels. Now, you've got to know that this review only looked at about five studies, but the results are pretty promising there. And looking more broadly at pregnancy outcomes are not just women with gestational diabetes. You could honestly read for days and days and days. There is so much research on it. 
Um, but even just this fact alone indicates that researchers have obviously been seeing the benefits, otherwise they wouldn't continue focusing so heavily on it. So it's been fairly well established that omega-3 supplementation reduces risk of preterm birth, which is classified as giving birth earlier than 34 weeks, which would be very preterm, or 37 weeks. And a 2018 systematic review concluded that the evidence around this was high, so good, good evidence. Now, this is important because the review itself looked at over 70 studies and included over 20,000 women. Heaps. So the evidence wasn't as strong for other outcomes like risk of perinatal death, admission to the um, neonatal care unit, and low birth weight, but it still still seemed to have a favorable response there as well. Now, a 2021 systematic review found conflicting results for preterm birth, but the authors acknowledged there was a major limitation in that their analysis excluded quite a number of studies. But prior to having to exclude the studies for like the purposes of the analysis, like the results were actually significant. And aside from that, they found that when there were low baseline levels of omega-3, the risk of preterm birth was much higher. So you then have to wonder how many of us actually do have low levels, and I would argue that it's a fair amount of us, given that the main dietary source of omega-3s is fish, and a lot of people don't tend to eat a great deal of it. And another 2022 review was, again, really positive, with omega-3 having an overall positive impact to reduce the risk of preeclampsia, low birth weight, preterm delivery, and postpartum depression and seeming to improve other things like immune system development, eye health, and birth weight, as well as cardiometabolic risk factors in pregnant mothers. And a 2023 review has looked at outcomes for almost 22,000 pregnant women and has also confirmed that there's a benefit in supplementation with omega-3 to prevent preeclampsia, increase birth weight, and decrease the risk of low birth weight and preterm birth. And a 2021 review looked at cognitive outcomes, didn't find any concrete evidence, but they acknowledged that the data was pretty low low quality and the outcomes were hard to measure. And in contrast to that, another 2021 systematic review looked at the impact of omega-3 supplements on childhood developmental outcomes like cognition, eye development, motor skills and language skills. And impressively, they had data that looked at a range of ages from newborn to 18, and five of their studies saw a significant improvement in cognitive development in infants and children, and while other findings weren't considered clinically significant, the results indicated that there was a definite trend towards improvements and benefits. So you've got to bear in mind that with this type of research, it would be really difficult to run an experiment over this length of time when there's babies involved as well and cognitive outcomes can be really tricky to actually define. And so knowing that and knowing the trend towards positive outcomes was still there, omega-3 again just seems like such an amazing thing to focus on. Now, there's also been a few studies in um, investigating whether it can reduce the risk of children developing allergies and support their immune system. Um, these reviews haven't found anything overly convincing, but again, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out just yet, given that it's so beneficial for so many other areas. So if that kind of went over your head, all in all, even if not all of these studies are definite in their findings... I think we can safely say that omega-3 supplementation is a more than likely a fantastic idea when you're pregnant particularly. So 
the research is always inevitably flawed with a whole lot of uncontrollable variables, especially when it's observational data. And the often study designs just aren't really conducive to finding direct cause and effect links. But I think that we have enough evidence here that is really pushing in that positive direction that I would say it's a no-brainer that we need to focus on this. So this has only really scratched the surface and there are a whole range of other areas of life where omega-3 seems to play a helpful role. So yeah, I can't stress enough. You need to be thinking about it. And how do we make sure you are getting enough? And what am I doing to make sure that I'm personally getting enough? Well, Omega-3 isn't really rare as such, but to be getting a decent amount, you do need to be quite specific in what you're eating. So in terms of eating it, one thing you need to know is that there are different types. So the ones that seem the most powerful are DHA and EPA, and we can break it down into ALA, EPA, and DHA, okay? And just use these terms because you don't really need to know the full long names. So ALA on its own has health benefits and it's a plant-based source of omega-3. And it is converted to EPA and DHA in our body, which is the more active, helpful form, okay? And ALA is much easier to get in your diet from those plant-based sources. So things like walnuts, chia seeds, and flax seeds. And, you know, for example, I eat quite a lot of these foods but you're probably still likely to have low levels if you're only focusing on the ALA form of omega-3s. And the reason for this is because our bodies are actually really rubbish at converting this type of omega-3 to the more advantageous form of EPA and DHA. So it's like less than 10% of what we eat of the ALA actually gets converted into those like EPA and DHA molecules. So you can't rely on just having things like walnuts and chia seeds and flax seeds or even flax oil supplements or whatever to get you there, even if on paper the omega-3 amount seems good, okay? You basically need to go right to the source, which is fish or algae, and particularly oily fish like salmon and mackerel and trout, those sorts of foods. So the recommendation is to be eating salmon at a minimum of two to three times per week to be getting an effective amount of DHA. And that's the reason that I've personally started eating more fish, right? Um, I think I'll also take a supplement just to really get my levels up. And for you, I would recommend that you do the same. So definitely be including those oily fish if you do eat seafood. And if you think that you hate seafood, but you haven't eaten it in years, then I would highly encourage you to like give it another go. Try it in a few different ways, because I think we often rule things out, even though we haven't had it for Years and years and years, and you might you might like it if you do start trying it in different ways again, and just go easy on yourself. Start small, but the the other thing is that we can talk about supplements a little bit as well. And I I really get cautious talking about supplements on here because I don't want you to just go and supplement on your own without consulting somebody about it because I just see risk involved in that in either getting like a a dose that's too high for you. Because more is not always better with nutrients. You've got to keep that in mind always. You might get a supplement that is kind of incorrect. For example, one that's based on those ALA fatty acids, which is not the same as the DHA and the EPA. Um, or you might be underdosing because you don't know how much you actually need or what the recommendation is. Um, you know, just like all these things that, that could happen. And I don't know what dose each of you would need. Okay. Because I need to see like your 
history, what may ideally what your blood levels are, all that type of stuff, and what you currently eat to be able to make a recommendation. So I really encourage you to touch base with your team about what the best supplement would be for you. But I do think that it's a pretty good one. Oh, and there's other risks involved too as well. Actually, I need to point out that if you're taking other types of medications in particular, it can interfere with that. So especially stuff around um, blood clotting and whatnot. So you will then need to touch base with somebody like your doctor and dietitian, ideally both, okay, before you go and supplement stuff. But I do think that for most pregnant women, it's a good idea to take a supplement and you can use a fish oil to get there. Or if you're plant-based, then you can also use algae oil, which might also be helpful if when you're taking fish oil, you get like a fishy, like refluxy sensation that happens to some people. Don't be scared. doesn't happen to everybody. And these are pretty readily available, though you do have to be really careful to look at the labels about what dose like I said, of DHA you're actually getting because sometimes it can be confusing when you're reading it that they just give you like the total dose of the fatty acids that's in the tablet. But you need to look at what percentage of that is actually DHA in particular and EPA. Okay. So like I said, I'm not going to go into specifics about numbers here because it's always really individual for everybody and it's not appropriate for everybody and you need to be really mindful of other factors that are going on for you that might impact what dose you need or whether you should be taking a supplement at all. But I think everyone can increase their intake of fish if you do eat fish. And I would recommend that being a really good starting point rather than running to buy a supplement. Okay, so food always has more benefits than we can get in a pill because we usually get like a few different nutrients at once, right? So if you're eating salmon, say, then you're also getting a really good hit of protein as well as a whole bunch of other really key nutrients like B12, selenium, vitamin D, lots of good stuff um, and calcium probably as well. And if you don't really know how to start going about cooking with salmon, then you can start with some of the tinned options. They still give you a really good amount of omega-3. And it's quite handy because it will usually say on the on the package how much omega-3 it does contain in those tinned forms. Um, but if you're cooking it, then I don't know, I suggest if you use stuff like chicken or tofu, you can probably just sub in salmon pretty easily into a whole bunch of recipes or ju- literally just do a quick Google search or a scroll on Instagram until you find a delicious recipe for it. Do make sure that you're cooking it well so that you're not introducing any risk of um, foodborne illness. That's important while you're pregnant. But other than that, I think we're both in the same boat. So start experimenting with eating more fish and let me know how you go. Please share your cool recipes and things like that because I'd love to hear it. I'd love your tips. I'm new to this as well. And I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I know that it's been a longer one. It's been a bit denser. A little bit more evidence to wade through, but I I just think that it's important always to give you context and for you to know where my recommendations are coming from. But yeah, omega-3 is just such a phenomenal little nutrient and we all need to be getting more of it. So I really, really recommend that you do start paying attention to it. And if you're interested in testing your levels like I did, I like DM me. I'm not gonna share too much about it. <laughs> like here because like I said I really just I don't want you to think it was sponsored or anything but if you are interested and curious you can come DM me on Instagram I'm at nutrition.by.helena very happy to chat through it with you 
And yeah, that's that's basically it from me. And also, I want to let you know that I've got a freebie coming out soon. I think you're really going to like it. So keep your eyes peeled. You'll be first to hear about it if you're on my email list um, or else I'll definitely be sharing it on Instagram and I'll be chatting about it again on the podcast soon so that you know what it is and why you need to read it. Anyway, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and yeah, come chit chat with me about it. And other than that, have a great day. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.